Hello, church family. I'm Ross Owens, an administrative pastor here at ACAC, and I am excited to continue our journey through the book of Genesis. Now, this week, we're going to review Genesis 25, along with its parallel reference in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Now, starting with verse 29 in Genesis, it states, Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came and from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. Then Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So now let's look at the parallel reference in Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 10. And that says, not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. I've entitled this week's study, Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is great honor to be called to deliver your word. I pray that I totally decrease so that your Holy Spirit can increase. And I pray that your Holy Spirit goes before me and touch each and every heart and mind listening to your message. So Heavenly Father, please fall afresh on me. Allow me to say exactly what you would have me to say so that your people can be encouraged, so that non-believers can turn their heart to you and that you could be glorified. I thank you so much for this opportunity to do what you have called me to do. And I pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Now, as we dive into this work, this week's teaching, may the Lord be with you. Now, before we dive into Genesis 25, it's important to mention the book of Romans since Genesis 25, along with Romans chapters 9 and 10, have generated years and years of controversy in the church. For centuries, one school of thought suggests that Romans 29, Romans chapter 9 is clear that God chooses some people for salvation and others for for damnation. And another school of thought suggests that Romans chapter 10 is equally clear that salvation can only be obtained through repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in summary, it's the argument that chapter 9 suggests salvation is solely based on God's sovereignty, and that chapter 10 suggests Salvation is solely based 
on man's free will. Now, one thing is clear about these two chapters. It's not clear. (laughs) See, a well-known Baptist preacher named Charles Spurgeon recognized that both school of thoughts were correct in many of their understanding of Scripture, but their mistake was in choosing one set of truths over another rather than accepting both, regardless of their apparent contradiction. See, he attributed our lack of understanding to our finite and falling minds, not with God, nor with God's scripture. And I love the way he put it. He put it like this. He said that God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. He goes on to say that they are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. These two truths, I do not believe, can ever be welded into one upon any human anvil, but one they shall be in eternity. They are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind that shall pursue them farthest will never discover that they converge. But they do converge. And they will meet somewhere in eternity, close to the throne of God, whence all truth does spring. See, one of the challenges to being a Christ follower is to learn to live within the tension of both sides of a biblical paradox. Not favoring one side at the expense of the other, but keeping the tension between both truths. It's accepting the fact that God knows everything and we don't. See, when considering this paradox, Paul ended up, he ended his discussion in Romans chapter 9 through 11 with a declaration of praise. And this is what he says. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Church family, if Paul, who wrote a significant amount of the New Testament, can accept the paradox over predestination and free will, church family, so can we. Now, Let's get back to Genesis. See, Genesis 25 records the death of both Abraham and Ishmael, as well as the births of Jacob and Esau. After Sarah died, Abraham remarried and had six children with his new wife. Abraham then dies at the age of 175 and is buried next to his former wife, Sarah. Eventually, Genesis 25 turns its attention to Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and the fact that they cannot have children. Now, at some point, Isaac prays to the Lord and then Rebecca becomes pregnant. Now, her pregnancy becomes very difficult. So she takes the same approach as her husband and she prays to the Lord, asking him why things are so rough. As a result, she receives a prophecy about the two nations in her womb that will be divided and the fact that the older will eventually serve the younger. See, this prophecy likely makes more sense to her when she delivers both Jacob and Esau. 
Now, the brothers grew into different type of men. Esau, the outdoorsman and hunter, is his father's favorite child. And Jacob, the quiet, stay-at-home mama's boy, is his mother's favorite child. And now here is where the story goes south. See, one day, Esau returns from the fields exhausted and asks his brother for a bowl of stew. Jacob demands Esau's birthright in exchange for that bowl of stew. And then Esau foolishly agrees and swears an oath to to seal the deal. Although we would never look at Jacob and Esau as role models, there is still much we can learn from these brothers. So first, Jacob. Jacob's name means to follow, to be behind, and it also means supplanting, which means someone who wrongfully takes the place of another. In my studies, Jacob is said to be even-tempered and a peaceful man who really liked the indoors. And since he is his mother's favorite, there's a good chance that she told him about the prophecies of his older brother serving him one day. What's also clear about Jacob is over time, he became a good cook. Now, what can we learn from this? See, Jacob took God's blessing and his God-given passions, and he used them for his personal and selfish gain. See, when we consider 1 Peter chapter 4.10, it tells us how we are to use our gifts. And this is what it says. It says, each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, now, in this particular context, Peter was specifically talking about spiritual gifts like prophecy and healing. Those are supernatural abilities bestowed upon us by God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the general idea of blessing others also carries over to our talents and the burdens given by God. And the use of our gifts, talents, and burdens should be used to serve others and to bring glory to God. So this is what happens. Whenever we, see, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God takes a piece of his heart and he distributes it amongst believers inside the church. So one person is given a passion for music. Another person is given a passion for the homeless. Another person is given the gift of prophecy. He takes his heart and he gives another person the gift of healing. And then he takes another piece of his heart and he gives it uh, a burden for abortions. And when another person receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that person can receive a burden for justice and the least of these. Now, when the body of believers come together with our unique gifts that were given by God, all together, we form the heart of God. And together, we leverage each other's gifts, talents, and burdens to lift each other up and to serve in a way that glorifies God and God alone. In other words, God wants to use your unique, your unique roles in the body of Christ to serve others and to glorify him. So if God made you an amazing singer, sing to encourage other people and sing for the glory of God. 
If God gave you a burden to fight abortion or to fight justice, church family, you go fight. But make sure your fight is not about you, but it's about God and it lifts up other people. See, when we do things as the body of believers, people won't see us, but eventually they will see God and they will see God's heart. But the problem comes in when we use our gifts, our talents and our burdens for personal, selfish and even political gain. The enemy then takes the very thing that strengthens the church and combats evil in the world and using it to weaken our witness and ultimately weaken our impact to the church. As a result, our gifts, our talents and our burdens become the source of contention in the church, the place where those gifts, talents and burdens should be supported. We hear it all the time. If this person does not share the same burden for abortion that I do, they must not be a believer. Or if this person does not share the same burden for the least of these and for the lost as I do, then they must not be a believer. Church family, we have to get to the point that we do not allow our gifts to uh, separate us from one another. Those God-given gifts, burdens, and talents are to be used for God's glory and God's glory alone. I want to encourage you. Let's not vilify those that have a different passion than you do. And don't elevate those that do, especially politicians. See, church family... Don't weaponize your gifts, your talents, and burdens for selfish or political gains. Use them to edify others. Use them to reach the lost. Use them for the glory of God. Otherwise, the very thing that was freely given to you to bring unity will divide God's people wreck our witness, and at the end of the day, it breaks the heart of God. So what can we learn from Jacob? This is what we learn. The way in which we use our God-given talents, gifts, and burdens can unite or divide a family, a community, and a church. We can either bring glory to God Or when we misuse them, we break God's heart. Use your God-given abilities to reconcile non-believers and to encourage believers to keep the faith. So that's what we can learn from Jacob. Now, what can we learn from Esau? See, Esau, he was the firstborn of the twins. And according to scripture, he came out red and all his body like a hairy garment. Now, in contrast to Jacob, he was a mama's boy and he was said to be a skillful hunter and a man of the field. Now, one day after working in the field, Esau came home. And just like we read, the Bible says that he was exhausted. Now, Esau asked Jacob for some stew that Jacob had made. And Jacob responded with a ridiculous proposition. He said to his brother, sell me your birthright. 
Now, in those days, firstborns were honored with the right to their father's assets and were able to exercise both authority and responsibilities after their father died. Now, in addition to assuming leadership role of of the family, the firstborn is bestowed the privilege to inherit twice the amount of inheritance than their children, than their siblings. Now, this particular birthright included more than a family inheritance. When we look at scripture, we realize that there were also it was also a spiritual inheritance. See, God promised Abraham that in his seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed. See, this promises encompass the life and the work of Abraham's best known and most revered descendant, who is Jesus Christ. So, yes, this was a short sighted and ridiculous proposition. But unfortunately, Esau said yes. He sold his future inheritance for a present pleasure. He left he let his flesh distort his reality, which ultimately dictated his actions. And not only that, it gets worse. See, Esau rationalized his decision to Jacob, saying he feels like he was going to die anyway, so he wouldn't need his birthright. Instead, he wanted some food. Church family, Esau's problem was he devalued God and he devalued God's blessing. He devalued the fact that he was raised in a family and believed that believed in worship and believed in service to God. He devalued the calling to the blessing that he had in the world. And ultimately, because he devalued those things, it led him to overvalue temporary indulgence. So what can we learn from Esau? No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how much you go to church, listen, walk away from temptation before it's too late. You have a glorious future. Do not fall for the enticing offer of sin. It's nothing more than a preposterous proposition. See, as believers, we have an inheritance in the birthright through Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn of our almighty God. And the Bible says to be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour. Church family, what is the devil offering you in exchange for your soul and your destiny? Whatever it is, say no. See, the devil is still advertising this bowl of stew today in the form of sex, pleasure, prostitution, alcohol, money, promotion, drugs, fame, success, and even politics. These temporary pleasures will steal from you what God wants to give you. So don't devalue God's blessing on your life. And whatever you do, don't compromise your faith. So looking at Jacob and Esau, you see, neither was content on how God created them. Esau despised his responsibility and Jacob wanted more. 
Esau perceived his blessing as a burden and Jacob perceived his blessing as insufficient. And they ended up using their God-given talents, gifts, and burdens against one another. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you content with how God created you? Are you using your God-given abilities to glorify God and to lift up others? I want to encourage you to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to answer that question for you. Then patiently wait for his answer. So after looking at what we can learn from Jacob and Esau, it's important to ask the question, what can we learn from God? Which brings us to our next point. See, before you were born, God knew you and he has a plan for you. Now look at what it says in Psalms 139 verses 13 through 17. It says this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me? Oh God, they cannot be numbered. Now, if you believe that only God is concerned about certain people, you are wrong. God loves you. He knows you and he loves you. He created you. And since you are his creation, he looks at you and he's and he adores you. God loves you and you are the apple of his eye. See, God has a calling on your life put together before you were ever born. And the first part of that call is for you to come to faith and believe in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. If you have not responded to the Holy Spirit to place your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, today is your day and I encourage you not to wait one minute more. And since God knows you, he loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you and he wants nothing but the best for you. You may have received a bad note from the doctor. You may have recently been in a car accident. You may be sitting there listening, struggling with COVID-19. And it's hard for you to fathom that God loves me and that God sees me. But let me tell you something. He loves you so much. And although it doesn't always seem like it, he wants the best for you. No, Don't no matter what you are going through, God sees you and he loves you. So as we consider the story of Jacob and Esau and the argument between predestination and God's will, it's clear that there are so many opportunities for division in marriage, families, between siblings, countries, and even the church, which begs the question, Why is there so much division? Well, it's simply because we don't keep the main thing, 
the main thing. See, look at what the Bible says. In the Roman church, some were flaunting their liberty in Christ to eat whatever they wanted to eat. But they were not sensitive about how their actions affected their weaker brethren who had not let go of the food regulations in the law of Moses. Now, the stronger brothers were putting their liberties, their beliefs and theology above love, which should always be the main thing. So Paul appealed to the stronger brothers not to hurt their weaker brothers by causing them to violate their conscience over something as small as food. See, in Romans 14, 16, it says this. It says, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be evil spoken of. In other words, don't let your liberties, your gifts, your talents, and your burdens in Christ, all of these things which are good, don't allow them to be the cause of your brother's spiritual downfall. The Roman goes on to say this. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but look, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in, in this way serves Christ is acceptable not only to God, but also to man. So what is Paul saying? He says this, God's kingdom is the main thing and it centers not on external matters, not on food, not on politics, but on our relationship with God and our relationship with others. In other words, what Paul is stating is to keep the main thing, the main thing. If you've allowed politics, abortion, gender identity, justice, or theology to compromise your witness and prevent you from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've lost sight of the main thing. It's time for a body of believers to lay aside our rights, our beliefs, and even our convictions to demonstrate genuine concern and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know Jesus. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting we abandon God's truth. That's not what I'm stating at all. But what I am stating is this. God's truth without God's love is like giving a dying person an empty cup of medicine. You acknowledge their disease, but at the end of the day, without showing them love, you are denying them the cure. Church family, in this crazy political climate that we live in, the fact that we're still within a pandemic, I want to encourage you, keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus Christ and his saving grace is the main thing. And it centers not on external matters, but on our relationship to him, as well as our relationship to others. See, I cannot claim to love God while at the same time, I hate people. That's not a biblical paradox. That's hypocrisy. So let's be sure that in these coming days, 
We use our God-given gifts, our talents, and our burdens to unite our families, our community, and to build unity in the church. And as we do that, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus Christ crucified. And always remember, he created you and he loves you and he wants nothing but the best for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is an honor and a privilege to know that before we were in our mother's womb, you knew us. And you knew every mistake we were going to make. You knew every decision we were going to make. But yet, you still love us enough to send us your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to take away our sins. Lord, I pray right now for those that have not given their life to you. I pray that as the Holy Spirit pulls on their heartstrings, that they will respond to your loving call. And for those that are, have already given their life to you, Lord, I pray that they will keep the main thing, the main thing, and focus all their abilities, their gifts, their talents, and their burden. I pray that they focus on glorifying you and serving others. When we do, the church will rise up as a beacon of light in darkness, and it'll all be for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, have an awesome week serving our King.